Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, we've been talking a bit in the background, and you were just asking me what's going on, what's on your mind. So I shared a story, and this past week, uh, since we've been back, I've been a bit knocked out. So I've been under the weather. I was sick, had this high fever, didn't know what it was, thought that it was malaria or dengue or something. Turns out it's COVID, which is kind of funny because it wasn't even on my mind. It was like a blast from the past, from 2020. But turns out I got COVID. So I've just been laying low this entire week, uh, hanging out at home. And we've got a nanny who works with us, uh, who does a phenomenal job taking care of our kids. And so she's here and we're putting on masks and we're trying to keep our separate distance. But my wife has this as well. So inevitably, excuse me, inevitably, she picks up the same thing. Now, she doesn't have it as bad, at least not yet, but she's clearly in discomfort. So she's here, she's got a headache, you can just listen to her, you can hear that she's congested, she's not feeling that well. And she works a long day, man. I mean, she gets in at about 7 in the morning, and she usually stays till, call it, 5 in the evening. Now she's staying a little bit longer. Her daughter works for us part-time, her daughter is sick, she's got the same thing. Now that her daughter isn't working with us because her daughter's out sick, She's picking up, so she's staying from, say, 7 in the morning till 6 in the evening. And it's a long day. She's clearly in discomfort, but she's not complaining. And not only is she not complaining, she's just her usual self. So she's joking, she's talking, and I'm concerned about her, Z. So I'm talking to her, and I'm saying, are you all right? Do you need some time? Do you want to go home? We can pick up the slack. I'm home this week. We can figure it out. And her response is just very casual. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I know my body. If I get a fever, uh, maybe it'll be a different story. But right now, it's just a little bit of pain. It's a bit of a headache. It's fine. So no complaint, no real change in her demeanor, no looking for an escape. Even when I offered her a way to get out of the situation and take some time off, she refused And I look at this, I'm like, wow, this is very impressive. Now, she hasn't been feeling as bad as I've been feeling, but she's probably feeling pretty bad. I look at myself, I've been knocked out for the entire week. I've got the luxury of staying at home. I don't have to go to work. And, you know, my my demeanor, uh, my, my happiness level, for lack of a better word, it's a bit up and down. I mean, overall, it's fine, but maybe some days I'm grumpy because I'm kind of annoyed that this thing is lingering on. And then I look at her and I'm like, wow, maybe I'm just a big pussy. (laughs) You know, maybe I'm complaining while I'm sitting at home and I'm resting. And meanwhile, she's coming into work every single day. She's not complaining at all. And I brought that up to you because I was like, wow, that's really something that I admire. I mean, her endurance, her perseverance, her attitude. And then you picked up on that, Z, and you said, you know what? It's very similar to a topic I've been thinking of, this idea of intelligence and discrimination. So the Buddha asks us to discern, uh, to discriminate, to look at the world dispassionately and 
in that state of mind, figure out what the right course of action is. And you said that my nanny has a very high form of that intelligence. So you don't look at it just as endurance. You look at it as a form of discrimination and a form of intelligence. I thought that was a very interesting idea. So Z, why don't we start over there? Can you say a little more about that idea? Yeah, the, the, in, in the yogic sciences, they have the term in the Vedic science, for the, the buddhi, buddhi or buddha. Um, and people think of oftentimes as Buddhism or Buddha as a religion, as a person. But Buddha says very clearly that anyone can become a Buddha if they follow the Dharma. And something that's always mentioned is, is that the actual meaning is one who can discern, discriminate, one who can sort through. And it means a lot more. It sounds simple, but it means a lot more. You think about a runner, right? A long distance runner, marathoner. And you think about the average person who is reasonably active. What is the difference between them who can keep going, enduring, and one who quits. Well, the great Abibi Bakila, who won two Olympic marathons, I think 60 and 64, and he won the first marathon barefooted, the 60 Olympic, he ran it barefoot or something. And they asked him, how do you run the marathon? And he said, you run it alone or not at all. Abibi Bakila meant that you have to go inside yourself in the quiet of your own heart and, and finish what you did. Now, Bibi Bakila was a cab driver in Ethiopia and the father of many children. And he had to win the marathon in his mind. That was a way for him to elevate the quality of life for him and his family. It was that simple. So he closed out the outside world and he ran like no one had ever ran before. And he did it again. He was actually killed in a car accident, driving his taxi. We look at a lot of things like that where people can not just endure or push themselves, but on top of that, they have a discriminating mind that allows them to see past, present, and future clearly. They have a known past, the now that they're in, and understanding where that can lead them. That's it. They're not embellishing it with a whole lot. And they're also considering what their upbringing and background is. So my parents and, and my grandparents and things like that, uh, though they were educated, they did all manner of survival jobs based on the times they lived in and the times that I was coming of age in. It was, a, a, it was, it was a many challenges. There were many challenges. I have no recall. I've told you about my granddad. I have no recall of him ever calling in sick, though he died of arteriosclerosis, hardening of the arteries of the heart. And he was in great pain for many years. But he never thought that was a reason to take a day off. Whether you judge it whatever you want, but he knew that every day that he produced was a day that his family flourished. It was that simple for him. Every day he didn't produce, it was a day that his, he would lose ground with the development of his family. It was so simple. He did a simple discriminating math. Your nanny does the same thing. 
you said that I think I'm worse than her. You don't know that. None of us do. But what she defines as bad, you'd have to look into her life, her background. Where did she come from and how did she get here? What were the hardships she endured? So she's measuring that the moment she's in based on the hardship she's known. She's making a judgment and then a discernment and then an assessment. She's doing all of those things when she decides no matter how bad I feel until they tell me to go home, I'm going to, I'm going to earn my keep. On the other hand, there are some people who say, you know, this marathon running is fun, but it, it, I got tired after a block. I'm good. I'm going to go do something else. Well, that's cool. You're not a BB Bakila, but you also probably don't have a number of children at home that you love dearly, that this would be a means for you to improve their quality of life. You know what I'm saying? So there's different types of intelligence. When you can, for example, you want to be fit. And you want to be fit because maybe you, here's two cases. Maybe you're just vainglorious and you want to look cute. There's other people that get fit because they saw a loved one suffer or die too young and they don't want to put that type of hurt on other people. There's a story about an 80-year-old or 90-year-old, 80-year-old, I think she's 80-something-year-old bodybuilder. And she's beautiful, just crazy, gorgeous, can't believe she's 80. And she got into, apparently she got into fitness in her 50s. And her and her sister were not in good shape physically. And they started working out, but the sister was already ill with a terminal illness, but they started working out. And on her sister's deathbed, she says, stay fit, okay? And she said, okay. And now she's like a world champion bodybuilder at 80-something years old, and she has the body of a 20-year-old fit person. And her motivation when you hear her speech is, I promised my sister that I would do the best I could. So it's a spiritual journey for her. So she has made a calculation, a discernment, a self-judgment that this is the way I worship. This is the way I honor my loved ones. And so there are many different reasons that can push you into the discriminating mind. There are many reasons. And what you get from it is endurance, is perseverance, is constancy, is reliability. There's a certain kind of intelligence that allows a person to be reliable. There's a kind of intelligence that allows a person to go a little further than they would have gone. You asked earlier, like when it comes to people divorcing or being in, in toxic relationships or whatever, even there, people need to know when to stay and when to go. And why do you go for a certain reason? You shouldn't go because you're bored or you want excitement, I don't think. But if the person has a problem and they're aware of it, you're aware of it, and there are things you guys can work on, there's always a greater prize at the end of that. 
than a lesser prize. But you have to be, the, be able to discriminate. And most of us have trouble doing it because we, we passionately discriminate, not dispassionately. We discriminate with a passion for self. What works for me? What feels good to me? What's the right thing that I can do for me? So that's a passionate discrimination. You want to be dispassionate and say, what is the most sustainable? What would be the best expenditure of my resources? What would be the most environmentally sound? That's a different thing. So when you get into that, that's where you develop a kind of perseverance, endurance, a marathoners-like strategy of managing their energy. You follow me, Ben? Z, if I understand you correctly, this idea of discrimination, a lot of it is born of circumstance. So part of it might be individual. I mean, the decisions that I make versus the decisions that you make might be different. We might discriminate in different ways because we've got different circumstances, different objectives and so forth. So part of it is a recognition of where we are, what our options are, what we care about, what our duties are, who we have to provide for. And then if we're able to step away from ourselves and get into that state of dispassionate observation, the endurance, the will to keep on going on, however you want to put it, it seems like it comes from just a, a broader perspective on life. I mean, part of it is a cosmic perspective, a recognition that things change, things fluctuate. So even if I feel bad today, I feel bad in this moment. I know that I'm not going to feel bad forever. I know that I can get through this. Uh, in the case of my nanny, you also made a pretty interesting point. It's not just recognizing that the pain is temporary. It's recognizing what the greater good is. Uh, so you might be in a situation where if you don't show up to work, you end up losing your, excuse me, you end up losing your job. And so you carry that with you throughout life. And even if you're sick, you still show up because you want that job. And excuse me, I got something caught in my throat. Uh, you want the resources to provide for your family. So that's an additional layer of discrimination. And then on top of that, you made another point, which I thought was really interesting. If you've got the right perspective, or maybe call it the right life strategy, you recognize that the more energy you put into complaining about something or feeling bad about something versus fulfilling your duty, long-term, that's going to make you worse off. That's going to drag you down into pain versus doing your duty. And even if it is difficult to do your duty over the long-term, that elevates you that brings you up. So that's another form of discrimination. And maybe that's also born of experience and just going through circumstances and going through hardship and knowing that if you persevere, there's some greater reward at the end. And it might not be a point in time reward. It might just be the reward of being, carrying myself in a certain way, giving up myself in a certain way, being open-hearted, treating people a certain way, holding up my end of the bargain puts me in a better state. It makes me more healthy. It allows me to go through this world with my head held high uh, versus feeling like I've failed someone or I've tricked someone or cheated someone or haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And also that focus on duty, as we talk about, is a path to salvation. So there's a spiritual aspect to it as well, which is interesting. And I think you mentioned that with the bodybuilder. It's a form of reverence. Uh, so if I can focus on my duty, 
which is less about me. You know, it's more about the doing and less about the reward. That's a path to salvation. That's a path to subduing the ego and transcending the self. So all of these are reasons perhaps why we would act in a way that might seem painful in the moment, but might get us greater rewards or might put us in a different frame of mind uh, and take us away from the day-to-day pain. Uh, Because a lot of times we are running into hardship, we're running into frustration. And if we just focus on that, then that becomes our entire reality. Uh, That loss of perspective uh, becomes a horrific mistake. I mean, we're basically blind because we're looking at this and we end up assuming and extrapolating and thinking, oh my God, this is going to go on forever. This is so horrible. How am I going to endure this? What did I do to deserve this? And then that brings a whole collection of negative thoughts And then we spiral into a very dark place, or we could, Uh, or at the very least, we've got this habit of negativity. So it's almost like the discernment, the discrimination, the endurance, part of that Z is a very practical strategy for just dealing with situations and circumstances. Part of that is a reflection of the reality of life. You said it at the beginning, I forget if this was on the podcast or you mentioned it before, but you talked about how back in the day, you'd be willing to pack up and move anywhere where you could get work. So you you don't even think about what the right kind of job was or whether the job satisfied all your needs or whether your job validated you. (laughs) You know, everyone celebrated your birthday on your job. You were just happy to have a job. And it's funny because I talked to my dad and he says this less so now because my generation is a little bit older. But back when we were in our 20s, uh, maybe late 20s, And we would talk about, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this job. Maybe I want to do something else. I don't know what really means a lot to me, what's really going to satisfy me, what's going to tap into my skill set, what's going to be the best use of my time and energy. And he would listen to all of this and he'd always be like, I just don't get it. I mean, back in the day, we were just happy to have a job, (laughs) right? It's like we we, I totally, I totally get where your dad's coming from. I mean, I hear that every day and it's just amazing to me. I'm looking for a job that resonates with me. I'm looking for a job that uh, has the right breaks and benefits. And we were like, I need a job, okay? Because I need to show up and make money. I'm not going there to make friends. As you said, I'm not going there to be validated, to find my self-worth. I hope to God they don't celebrate my birthday at work. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a, it's a different reality that people live in. And as you see, those people tend to be less enduring, right? The people that, that don't really need the job. And um, it, it, so you get to see how you develop this kind of Buddha consciousness in that part of your life. How do you build endurance? Think about it. If we use the common physics of our known universe. How do you gain endurance? Like the cat on the hot tin roof, be there, be present. If you want to run a, if anybody wants to run and compete a four hour marathon, right? That's, that's not bad. Four, you want to run the marathon in four hours. You start one year before the marathon and every day for 52 weeks, you run what's called LSD, long, slow distance. You start with a mile and 
you increase every every two weeks, you increase it to by a half a mile every day until at the end of that period of time, you are up to close to the distance of a marathon running long, slow distance. So if I use that example of everyday life, you face things to your capacity every day in a mundane way, like your nanny doing her work. I didn't say take sick days off. I didn't say take mood days off. I didn't take, say take um, holidays off. Every day, like a good parent, you do what you gotta do. And from, but in order to do that, you have to have a level of discernment, that level of discrimination in your mind. That I cannot fixate on the soreness of yesterday. I need to be right here now. So that carries me to the next step after this, because I can't, there's no steps behind this. I have to go forward. So you automatically with discernment develop a certain amount of enduring spirit and enduring soul. And there are basic formulas one follows. Years ago, when I was working on a writing project, I, a, a, a book a publisher told me, just write every day. Doesn't matter. Just write. If something comes to your mind, write. Take notes. Even gave me a small recorder back in the day, the palm-sized recorder. So you have a thought, click the button and, and just speak your idea. That's simple. And I've been doing that with notes. That's what I do with notes. And what it does is it allows you to move and progress, to develop, to evolve dispassionately. You're just stacking the bricks. You're just doing your thing. So here, then it, and then after a while, it's not as hard to do. Those first miles are the hardest miles. That first week of the first week or first month of training is the hardest. Then afterwards, it, it, it's not as difficult. Then afterwards, you begin to crave the very thing you despise. So I look forward to journaling. It used to be painful. And then the publisher said, just keep doing it. Now I don't have any problem doing it. And there's an, again, that, that intelligence is always there because the non-intelligence makes you follow emotions, makes you follow whims, right? It makes you seek, endlessly seek the easy and the comfort. And we live in a moment and a time where people validate that. That's cool. Let's just do what's easy and comfortable. Let's not do anything that's challenging or difficult. Not only does it make your body mushy and weak, it makes your mind and character mushy and weak, and it makes your intelligence mushy and weak. Face any adversity with diligence and consistency, and the mind will, will open up a part of it that is very enduring and very um, innovative, right? You follow me, Vin? Yeah, this idea about showing up, I think, is absolutely right. You see it uh, when you're working out, just getting to the gym. I mean, if you're not in that routine, it becomes very hard to do. But as you start getting into it, it becomes something that you look forward to. 
you, you like the exertion. You like the way that it makes you feel. I look at meditation as something in that same vein where it becomes very hard to sit down and settle the mind. And I remember when I first got into it, it was challenging, but it got to a point where I really enjoyed it. And even today, um, when I'm doing it at times, I enjoy it at times. It's just more difficult to settle the mind. But if you sit there and you do it and you get into it, over time, you get to a different state. You get to a point of more clarity. You almost feel that dust settling and you feel an expansion of your consciousness. And that's because you got to sit and force yourself to just keep on sitting. Uh, I mean, you can't really force yourself to meditate. The mind does what it does. But if you've got that discipline of paying attention and bringing it back to some center, eventually it settles down. Eventually you get to a point uh, where it just feels rejuvenating. So it, that that logic to me makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because as we're talking, I'm seeing a little more of that link that we first started to explore at the beginning of the podcast between discrimination and endurance, uh, this capacity to keep on going to go beyond the comfortable. I mean, maybe that's another way of thinking about discrimination, that we need to figure out what the reward is beyond the immediate, beyond the here and now. So we have to be able to step back, uh, understand just the physics of life, understand the nature of the self, understand the nature of pain, the fact that a certain amount of challenge, a certain amount of stress is, is actually healthy for us because that's the foundation of evolution. And if we've got all that in mind, it makes it easier or maybe it's not even easier, but it gives us more of a motivation to go through the things that are difficult because we know that we're getting something out of it. Uh, I mean, I almost feel like there are two different things that we're getting out of it. Maybe they're related, uh, but one is that we're doing our duty uh, and we're fulfilling immediate obligations. So if you think about a parent taking care of their children or you think about someone showing up at their job, depending on their circumstances, if you've gone through hardship growing up, you know that you have to keep on going because you don't want to be fired. You don't want to be in a point where your family is going to starve. But then you've also got the situation where maybe you don't need to show up for material reasons. So you're still going to eat. You still got money. But you need to show up because otherwise, what the hell is life? It's like if you're not showing up, if you're not moving on that steady progression towards something, if you're not putting in the time and effort, you're not fulfilling some duty, you're not of use to anyone then what are you doing? I mean, that's when we get into all these psychological problems where people are anxious and depressed and they're searching for some transaction, some quick high, because they don't have anything that provides a foundation. There's nothing meaningful in life to anchor onto. Uh, so I think that's also where this discrimination comes in. And see, maybe you can offer some perspective on that because some of the challenge that I see with people is not the people who've gone through hardship the people who've gone through hardship actually have cultivated the discipline or maybe the intelligence uh, to endure and to keep on fighting and keep on struggling. It's just part of who they are. And maybe it takes on a more spiritual aspect. But for people who haven't struggled uh, or who haven't struggled as much, who haven't been forced to make really tough compromises, how do you get in the right mindset so that you still bring that, that discipline and that intelligence to bear even though you're not going to die. I mean, you're not going to starve. Maybe a different part of you is going to die. Your soul is going to die. Uh, but it's maybe a need that's a little less familiar. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, Vin, I, I, I'm inspired always when you talk to me. And I was thinking as, about a few topics uh, in, 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 in response to what you're saying. 
let's say one is trying to learn to meditate, and I'm going to cover it. When you first start meditating, it's very unrewarding. It's very difficult. It seems like everything in the world is irritating you. There may be one fly in the house that starts bothering you, or there may be this one itch on your neck, or there may be this one phone call you have to get. So you sit there, let's say you set up some sort of altar, and you got your, you got your meditation pillow, your mat, you're burning some nice candles. Maybe you know a mantra or two or some chant you want to do, and you try it. And you just, it just doesn't work. You say, this is so hard. I got so many other things to do. And you just give up. That is not intelligence. That is not intelligence. Intelligence tells you there is a great proven benefit to meditation, to stilling the mind. Though it is not readily available to everyone, if I am, follow a path that I have discriminated between what is easy and comfortable now and what is beneficial in the long term. I have that ability to do this, this passionately discern. I'm going to accept that it will feel non-beneficial. It will feel like I'm getting nothing out of it. But if I keep doing it, there will be a benefit. And then the other part of you is just simply doing what you're told. You do the meditation over and over, and then within maybe a week or two, you start looking forward to it. You start developing this habit. A month or so into it, you're really enjoying the meditation. Two months out, three months out, people are asking you, hey, you've changed. Then that gives the ego a little pat on the back. You're on the right track. You get back your meditation, you go deeper. Then people come and pat you on the back and say, you, you don't care anymore. That's where you, you don't care. You just simply, you love being in tune with the divine. Now, <clears throat> when you talk about life teaching you discernment, discrimination, learning and adapting to be enduring, you, you mentioned early on endurance when we were offline and we were talking. <clears throat> Let's look at things that we all know about, like, let's say, military life. If you look around the world, the heroes of military are often, more often than not, people who come from difficult circumstances. Whenever you hear the stories of the enduring soul who went back over and over and got people out of harm's way, when you look at people who gave their last greatest measure to uh, their fellow combatants, they all have similar themes in their life. They came from hardship. They came from challenging times. And their attitude was always an accepting attitude because they always knew that whatever I'm going through is temporary. And so that is already an intelligent person. That's always a level of Buddha consciousness there, even if they wouldn't call it that, because they can see the here, the now, as they well as they can see the past, the present, and the future. They understand causality. They understand the exchange of energy. They understand basic laws of energetic exchange. Everything costs something. So then they develop abilities to manage the cost and be as economical and as um, miserly with their energy as possible in order to fulfill 
various goals and objectives. So we all have that ability to exercise our intelligence. And it starts with something as simple as the ability to hold the ball, to be still, to meditate. And then from there to be the dispassionate observer, to float over, observing you living, you watching you be you. And then being able to offer an assessment, a critique of your own self. You'd be surprised that when you start doing this exercise, you tend to blame more things on yourself than other people. What does that mean? Is that a good thing? Yes, because what I mean is you take personal responsibility for wherever you're at. The way you speak begins to change. You rest your life away from the ego. You subdue the ego, right? Because now you see, I am not a hapless uh, victim of the, of the winds of the universe. I have a role. I know where to place myself. And when I do that, I can take responsibility, whatever the outcome is. And so that is an intelligent level. When you hear, I'm a victim, 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 you're dealing with somebody of low, low Buddha conscious or no Buddha conscious or just dumb. They're, they're, they lack intelligence. Because if you hear from a person 10, 20 victim stories, that's a problem. And so you want to know that are they walking into this mindfully or are they walking into it fatalistically? Years ago, <clears throat> when I was not as mature in understanding people, and I had heard a singular narrative about victims, I would meet people and they would tell me these horror stories about their life and I would have sympathy for them and even want to rescue them. And then you find out that they're running from themselves. <clears throat> I knew a woman who had been married five times by the time she was 32. Five times. This was a beautiful woman. And she had uh, a, a large number of children from two of her marriages, but she had been married five times. And she had five or six kids at 32. Imagine that. And her beauty was mesmerizing. And she would say, oh yeah, there, there, there are no good men. There are no good men. And she would tell you a long, drawn out, episodic story about each of her, her horrible husbands. How they fell in love, how they did this, and then how it all fell apart. <clears throat> well, at the time, I was used to a kind of idea that uh, whatever a woman said was just, just take it at face value. And uh, she's, she's telling you the truth, no matter what. And so that was my attitude. I said, this must be absolutely true. But here's the funny thing. As the Vedas say, the truth is a deep lake. If you start going a little deeper, you're going to find out a deeper truth. Right? It's not that she's lying, but there's a deeper truth. And I was a young man. I was, I was just coming out of my teenage years. I had a big crush on her. That's a whole other story. So I would listen to her and listen to her. And then I started 
sharing these stories with more mature people. And they says, you notice a common theme in all her stories? She dates criminals. She prefers criminals. All of her husbands were deeply, deeply immersed in criminal activity. I was like, wow, really? Yeah, you're right. You're right. They're, they're all criminals. And if she met a man who wasn't a criminal, she had no real interest in him. She thought those criminals had, a, they had an edge. They had a little spark in them. They had a little something, something in them, you know? But here's the problem. They were criminals. They were pathological liars, right? Flim-flam men of all kind. And that was her choice. And that being her choice, the outcome was inevitable. You know that story, don't you, Caitlin? You know people who do that, girls that pick a certain type of person and then complain about how they are. You meet a clown at the circus and you're just sick of his practical jokes. You married a clown. That's what they do. Oh, you know, I love Bozo, but I wish he would stop joking around. What? What? You see? So when we're discerning the screen, you know that, okay, Bozo is a clown. And he will be doing clown things. <clears throat> now, I'm going to do a personal dispassionate discernment, assessment, judgment about myself. How often would I like practical jokes? Well, hmm, I think I can do a practical joke once a week. Well, Bozo might not be the one for you, regrettably. He has the hair you like. He has the nose you love. He dresses the way you like. But he will be doing practical jokes many times a day, every day. Right? So those are things that, those are things that we want to develop in ourselves, the Buddha consciousness. And with it comes endurance, perseverance, clarity of thought, acceptance, and you free yourself from victimhood. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Z, this example of Bozo. I want to get into this a little bit because we've been talking about endurance and when we started the conversation, it was almost endurance as a one-way attribute. Like the more you can endure, the better. And maybe that's just a reflection of the society we're in and the fact that people have very low endurance. So we can move them really far up on that endurance scale and you're not going to hit a limit. But at some point you hit the limit. You hit the limit, as you're saying, with the practical jokes, with Bozo the Clown. You hit the limit in the toxic relationships and the bad behavior you can hit all sorts of limits. You talked about limits in a gym. You go and you work out too much, and then suddenly you knock yourself out. And you can also hit limits in ways that maybe are a little bit unexpected. So I've been reading this book. I picked this up at the airport uh, on the way back from India. And it's about the partition. It's something like the secret history of Indian independence. And it's really interesting because it's not just a narration of facts, but uh, the author had gone through all the private correspondences of the major characters. And so even though it's a nonfiction account, it, it reads very much like a fictional story. It's, it's very engaging because 
it gives you the inside scoop into who was gay and who was straight and who was doing what to whom. And it goes into Gandhi a little bit. And what's interesting to me about Gandhi, uh, Gandhi, of course, is this national hero. His face is on all the currency in India. People speak of him with reverence. I remember I had a neighbor, uh, this old Indian woman, and she loved Gandhi. She had pictures of Gandhi around her apartment. She invited me over to dinner one day, and I started to ask some questions about Gandhi, and she got very upset, even though she was otherwise a very sweet woman, but she didn't want me uh, to bring up anything that might slight uh, Mahatma Gandhi. But I'm in this book, and Gandhi's whole thing uh, was nonviolence and non-resistance, and it was to an extreme that at times it sounds insane. Uh, so some of the things mentioned in this book are that Gandhi would advise women who were being raped not to resist it, just to allow it to happen. Uh, like, who would do that? You're just supposed to sit there and get raped. He had correspondence at one point in time about uh, the Jews and the Holocaust. And his perspective was that they should have just given themselves up for slaughter. Now, I will say that I'm not a Gandhi expert. These are quotes. Maybe there are other Gandhi quotes that provide a different picture. I don't want to offend all the, the Gandhi supporters out there. But take it at face value. I mean, these are pretty damning comments. And it's this, I think any ideology Z taking to an extreme breaks down because there are limits to everything. And as we've talked about, that's another aspect of Buddhism, this middle path that we don't want to be too far on one side or another. Uh, so it, the discrimination, we need enough discrimination to know that we can't just be a slave to whatever our immediate needs are and our desires are. We need some broader picture. We need some tolerance for discomfort. We need some appreciation of conditions beyond the immediate self. But we also have to know what the limits are on that, what the cost is of that. And that cost might be different for different people. Uh, so, for example, you mentioned the marathon runner who had to provide for his children. Maybe someone else in a different situation wouldn't go through the same extreme, nor would we expect them to. Uh, so, Anything that we do, uh, the intelligence works in both ways. I mean, it can push us in certain directions, but it also prevents us from going to a place that might be unhealthy. And when we think about this and we think about how much we want to endure, how much we want to sacrifice, how much of ourselves we want to put into any endeavor, give us some thoughts on that. How do we start making those trade-offs? Well, again, the key phrase is dispassion. And that can be challenging for people because when you're passionate, it limits your ability to go deep into the, le the lake of truth. So as we develop tools of dispassion, that doesn't mean you're not human. That means that you acknowledge your humanity and what biases come along with it. That's what it really means. I'll go back to the Gandhi thing, which I don't care. I have some funny Gandhi stories. Uh, years ago, there was this guy, some years ago, about a decade ago, this guy was walking around. I don't know if he was from the UK or Ireland or something. He had one of those kind of accents. And he was hanging around the LA yoga community. And uh, like for me, it's like uh, I, I consider the, the, the Ku Klux Klan West is the yoga community. Um, and he was running around, he's going to do the Gandhi Peace Walk, right? And he came to my place and he had these flyers. He was going to do the Gandhi Peace Walk. He says, you get Gandhi, you understand Gandhi. Because uh, I'm, I'm sure you love Martin Luther King. And he says that to me. And I'm saying, you know, not really, but cool. And I, I sat down with him. He says, look, Z, you're a very knowledgeable yogi. 
I want you to sign off on my peace walk. I'm going to get endorsements and testimonies from all the, the yogis in the area, all the healers, the yogis, the wizards and witches and uh, ghouls and goblins around town. Uh, everybody is going to, I'm going to have something, get a little something from each of you. You're going to sponsor me on the Gandhi Peace Walk. And uh, because we're going to, we need Gandhi. We need another Gandhi. I said, that's interesting you say that. And I, his name slips my mind. It was like Leaf or something. It was like some kind of European name. And a uh, cool guy, but very misguided. He had all the trappings of a spirituality, dressed a certain way, kind of unbathed. You know, the, 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 the yoga dude with carries a yoga mat, maybe drinks from a hemp bottle or, or, or non-plastic reusable water bottle. So this kind of stuff. He had all the, all the trappings, right? Or what do they call it? All the signaling that, that, that you're spiritual. Virtue signaling, right? So I said, he's, he, he talks for a while and me being me and wanting to kind of ruffle stuff up. I say, hey, I got a few quotes from Gandhi. Here are his letters to Hitler addressed, Dear friend, I love the work you're doing. We should do that in India with some of our groups here that are causing problems. And he was just, a, he was a big fan of Hitler. He was arrested in South Africa and because the apartheid government in South Africa at that time when Gandhi was there had black and white. So whites were privileges and blacks were scheduled in a certain way. You had to be registered, this and that. It's called apartheid. So if you were not white and you got arrested, you were considered black, period. Gandhi said one of his worst experiences was being treated like a common nigger in a South African jail. Gandhi said that. That's what he wrote. Gandhi also felt very bad about his inappropriate relationship with his niece. This is not me making up. It's all things if you care to read it. That doesn't mean that Gandhi had great quotes. He had some cool stuff. By the way, he hated the Sikhs. And he was uh, Gujarati speaking. And he would speak in Gujaratis to Gujaratis and tell them how he supported the caste system. And the very next night, in an open forum of many languages, English-speaking people, he would say he was against the caste system. He was a great politician. He could have been president of the United States. I mean, he was great. Did he have some good quotes and did he have some great things? Yes, he did. Can you separate those things? Can you discern and discriminate? Can you dispassionately say, I like what he did, but I don't like this what he did? That's what dispassion does. How about, how about your good old boy Hitler? He was into sustainable energy before anybody. He was into clean energy and he was a vegetarian. He developed the, the Autobahn in Germany that is the model of American freeways. Every rocket ship going up in the sky was kind of like an ancestor of the V2 rocket in Germany. Actually, they brought Nazi scientists to the Americas to develop the space program here. Do you like space program? Yeah. Do you like Nazis? No. So that's what dispassion does. You can pick and choose based on what you find. I love astronauts. But Neil Armstrong 
said he didn't think any niggas should go to the moon. I like Neil Armstrong. I don't like that part of Neil Armstrong. Okay? Martin Luther King. Oh my God. The Prince of Peace. I met his child one time and they were telling me about how the FBI would play porno movies of King because they were eavesdropping on his rooms when he would have various affairs with different women and threaten his wife to show those things. So you mean King cheated on his wife? I don't know what kind of personal arrangement they had. They might have had an open marriage. But why would this take away from the good he's done? You see, when you're dispassionate, you could sit there and go, hmm, you know what? I like freeways, but uh, I don't like Nazis. I love some of the ideas of Martin Luther King, but I don't necessarily like um, guys who cheat on their wife. I like Gandhi. I like some of the things Gandhi said, but I don't like pedophiles and I don't like racists and I don't like castes. How about that? But I do like his fasting. I love his discipline on fasting. That's what dispassion, that's the, you know, really, Caitlin's laughing, but that's dispassion. If you get into the lives of people that you admire, you might not admire them so much. I like Roman Polanski's films. Yeah, but you don't like pedophiles. Did to you don't like pedophilia. It's a pedophilia. It's called pedophilia. Caitlin can't even say it. She likes the guy so much. Say pedophilia, Caitlin. Pedophilia. Yeah. So it and and now the new term for that is what is minor. it? MAP. Minor, minor attracted persons. Yes. And they they want they want rights to. They have a lot to. Okay. Because yeah, they 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 can write great movies. Yeah. All right. Pedophile eye for the regular guy. I don't know what they might have a show. Right. So when we're dispassionate, we can call it as it is. Right. And we don't have to struggle. And we can just develop ourselves. And it requires, yes, a, 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 the, the ability to be enduring. I remember having a, a very dear girlfriend uh, years ago. And uh, we were we were getting along real fine and just hanging out the way I used to, you know, just hanging out. It's just good. It was just easy. You know, when you had that kind of girlfriend you just hang out with and it's just no problems, not that heavy. And she said, you know, but again, it gets heavy. She said, you know, I want you to meet my mom. I met her mom. We got along fine. Just got along great. I said, where's your dad now? You ain't going to meet your dad. My dad is like super racist. He's a super racist. He actually got kicked out of the army for drilling into soldiers of color's teeth and then leaving the teeth poor and the people would be in so much pain they couldn't do their job and they would often get kicked out of the military. Then they found out about him and they kicked him out of the military. He's a horrible human being. But he's a great dad. See, that's dispassion. And I was cool. I said, yeah, I don't want to meet your dad. I definitely don't want any dental work from your dad. Okay? So can he be a great dad and be inhumane to certain people? Sure he can. But in order for you to understand that and then develop strategies and moving through life, you must be a bird on a wire. That's why we call this podcast the DPO. 
the dispassionate observer. That's what the Buddha asked of us. That is how you cultivate intelligence, is through that dispassion. And not being uncomfortable, just calling it. Because the discomfort you develop is because you're passionately attached to something. That's why whenever you see these weekly or bi-weekly mass shooting and murders, right? The family always says the same thing because they, they cannot dispassionately discern. They passionately discern, so they buffer it down. Yeah, you know, when he went out and bought the guns and was on some kind of internet site, I thought it was just a passing phase. You know, when he was uh, cooking the cats and the puppy in the basement, you know, yeah, sometimes people slip up, but we thought he'd get over it. Never thought it would get this far. Let the neighbor do that and see what your same judgment would be of that. This, this person's a psycho and needs to be locked up, right? That's what you say. You would pathologize the neighbors. That's what you would do. But when you're dispassionate, you don't do that. You just call it as it is, and no matter how it makes you feel. That's just like Caitlin having trouble calling Roman Polanski a pedophile because she likes him, right? It's hard to do. It is, right? Yeah, well, that's a nice way of saying it. But either way, <laughs> it, it is. It, but you know what I'm saying? We, we, even when, when the guy got upset with me about talking about Gandhi, yeah. why did you get upset? This is a well-known feature of Gandhi. Because it doesn't mean he didn't do well. What about Martin Luther King? He didn't, he, he, he did what he did, but he didn't, he, and he also did what he did. Yeah, he was upset because he formed part of his identity around just those aspects of Gandhi. And then you uh, contradicted that. I did not contradict it. I enhanced it. You, right. I enhanced it. You made it aware. If he came to me and, and had a query, what do you think? He opened the door. Hmm. I would have kept my mouth shut. I don't want to just run around uh, breaking children's toys, busting his bubble. But we all need, we all benefit from being careful about discernment, discrimination, so we can be better. That's all. And acknowledging your passionate attachments to things will help you navigate those things. That's why people allow their kids to get so screwed up. You know, a lot of your kids are rotten. Kids can be rotten at times because kids are sociopaths because they don't have a frontal lobe. And some kids are sweet and they start to grow into it. And you see it when it starts growing. But it first grows for selfish reasons. I'm watching my eight-year-old. And I know when he's real nice to me, he's getting ready to ask for something. He was oh, such a sweet boy, such a loving child. No, he's not. There's a new Hot Wheel out that he wants. And he understands the exchange. And I tell him, don't do that. Don't try to be nice to me, but do your duty. I, I tell him now, fulfill your duty. And then later on, he might develop some dispassionate affection or whatever. But he's a kid. I accept that. And, and so all of us can benefit from that. Being intelligent, being able to discern and discriminate. That's it. Follow me, Vin. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how you're putting it, because I'm thinking about what do you describe, which is pretty simple. Just pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. 
And Caitlin's point about how it becomes very hard for people to do that because you get attached to a certain view of a person or that person represents something in your mind. I think about this with Krishnamurti. Uh, Krishnamurti, uh, the great spiritual leader who has written volumes about the mind, about the self, who's had discussions with people around the world. Uh, but he also had an affair with uh, the the wife of one of his good friends. And that becomes hard for certain people to accept because uh, they're like, okay, if I think of you as a guru and as a spiritual leader, uh, then you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, so I don't want to hear anything about it because that means that I'm wrong to follow you. And if I'm wrong to follow you, I got to follow someone else or I got to reconsider my entire view of the world. Uh, so all of this becomes complicated. And I think the reason it becomes complicated, it, one of the impediments uh, towards this dispassion and this intelligence that we're talking about is maybe a sense that we have to know how things work. Like we've got a mental model. We've got all these heuristics about this is how the world fits together. This is how people should act. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Uh, this is how different things add up. And we just can't tolerate things falling outside of that model. And then the consequences are horrible. Uh, so you see the conflict at a personal level. You see socially how everyone is polarized. And if you're part of a group, you've got to support all of the crazy ideas from that group. Even instead of just liking some and maybe not liking others, uh, your positions become more and more extreme because you got to defend this group that you're a part of. And it's more than just a collection of ideas. Uh, as Caitlin says, it's an extension of yourself. So anyone who's attacking the group is attacking you. So Z, this to me seems to be a pretty big impediment to intelligence. Maybe the solution is humility. I mean, I just want your final thought on that as we're wrapping up uh, to get to this point of dispassion and, and intelligence. Go ahead. Then it goes back to, it goes back right back to dispassion and acknowledging, look, if you're part of a group, if you identify as being part of a group, you're like, you have what I call maternal bias. You're going to always see the good in that group. Look at any newspaper headline. They just had this guy that went on a mass shooting. And the first thing that they put up was that he was a great honor student and he was well-liked in this community. No, he just killed a bunch of people. Then they showed, overlaid that with a headline of the shooting of the young black boy playing with a water gun in his backyard and the cop just ran the backyard, blew his top of his head off, Tamir Rice. And they went into, Tamir Rice comes from a broken home and his father was once busted for marijuana. That was in the, the first paragraph, right? So if you're part of the group, if you decide that you're part of a certain group, you're going to always elevate your group and demean another group. That's just the nature of low consciousness, of the passionate discernment. You're attached to something. And if you know you're doing it, you can undo it. And that's what I think is so beautiful about practicing something like Buddhism or something like that, is because it's always asking you to do that, even though it knows you do it, right? You know you do it. My group. Yeah, my group. If you look at stories, Everybody in the U.S. is uh, saying, China, China, Russia, Russia. I get sick of it. These people have done nothing to you. They haven't bothered you. But because you identify with one nationality, you assume that the other nationality is lesser, rotten, 
a worse, evil, bad. It's easier for you to believe that. Now there's a big war between men and women, right? So their whole internet channels, right, Ben? We're studying this whole podcasting thing. And I used to, you, they, they all say things that are truthful, but the truth is a deep lake. And they have these whole shows dedicated to showing how stupid women are. Whole shows. Then there's another shows that show how evil and rapey men are. They're, they're, you see what I'm saying? They're like the different sides of the same coin. But there's not many shows that have that dispassion. Here's the cause of this. Here's the response to that. If you turn the dial too far this way, this is what will happen. If you mix this chemical and that chemical, you can make a perfume. If you mix it the wrong way, it will explode. Life is all this chemistry going on. But when you have, let's say you're a guy who's been um, disappointed in your, is it, your dating life is disappointing to you. Then you go straight to the I Hate Women channel, right? The incel channel. And all of them are becoming incel channels. It's pretty sad, right? Or if you are a guy who has, or a girl, and you have uh, some issue with men, you're going to find all the shows that validate you, right? Oh, my boyfriend broke up with me for no reason. My husband left for no reason. Every guy I meet beats me for no reason, right? I can't find a date for no reason, just me and my dog. And I'm, I'm such a wonderful pick. And because men are so messed up, and then the men have a show, oh, women are just slutty, just leave them alone, they're just trying to rip you off. It, it just goes right back and forth. There's no, there's no dispassion there, none whatsoever. What is your role in all these interactions? Then you get into the race narratives. Oh, affirmative action! And uh, the blacks want to, it's so easy to be black. You have another, oh, the, the whites are coming together in huge meetings. There's 400 million white people meeting and planning the demise of black. Oh, I'm a model minority. I'm not. I mean, just, it's crazy. I heard something, they said, well, I'm a model minority. And they said, what does that mean? And the guy said, model minority means you come here, you, you come successful. Well, what is success? What does that mean? That's not what model minority means. That you, you're successful? At what? What does success mean anyway? A model minority means you can, you, you're that person that you, can, you, you don't look up, you, you don't say anything, you don't comment on the state of human rights or discrimination or, or the plight of others. You, you, don't do, you just don't exist. You're invisible. That's what it means. You're invisible. You can be the butt of jokes. You can do whatever. And you just do a good job. You should have no personality. You should never be remembered. That's a model minority. It has nothing to do with success. Nothing to do with success. Nothing to do with success. Model minority in a, in a discriminatory society means you're licking boots. And you do it with a smile. That's not success. That's something different. If success is how much money you make, then that's one variable. It has nothing to do with being a minority. It means that you know how to work the system. You made some great decisions financially. You, you had a lot of discernment, discrimination when it came to finances. 
And that has nothing to do with where you're from. It may be inspired or motivated by circumstance and situation. You come here, you heard stories like every other immigrant story. I came here with $2 in my pocket and I became a billionaire. Eh, yeah, well, that's part of the story. Everybody says that. I mean, that's everybody's. I haven't heard one person that's first generation here that didn't say the same damn. I mean, is everybody had the same uncle? Yeah, my uncle came here with $23. Everybody's told me that. I had a cousin at our family get together the past weekend. He said, yeah, remember we came here with like $20? No, man, you borrowed money from me, dude. You slept in my house. What do you mean you can't? I have a cousin. He just told me, Z, I want you to get involved in a, a Ghanaian mineral mine. That's what he told me. I said, yeah, well, well, dude, send me the information and let me know what you're up to. He says, well, it's not a scam. It's none of that. I said, yeah, I know the economy's flipping. I, I need to learn money. I, I'd like to listen to you. He said, yeah, you're doing great, Z. Remember, remember I came here, I had $20 in my pocket. I said, yeah, but you borrowed all the money from me. You slept in my house, ate my food, and I gave you clothes and my car. You forgot that part, okay? You still have that $20 bill because you, you leached off all of us, and now you're successful. And so stop telling that damn story. Tell the re That is true. He came here with $20 in his pocket, 20 American dollars, but he had 1,000 uh, uh, French francs with him too, okay? He, didn't, he just didn't go to the exchange, exchange the money, all right? So this is about being dispassionate. Just call it as it is, man. It's all good. Ain't that many heroes in the world, man. Everybody's just trying to make it. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Take off the blinders and just see things the way they are. I mean, I think it's more fun. It's uh, less anxiety-inducing. We can have conversations like this, which is pretty cool, uh, which would never fly if we were too aligned with one side or the other. <laughs> We'd be offending each other constantly. We'd be constantly offended. When you don't practice this passion, you're constantly offended, constantly. And I told you, this has been a constant thing. And we had two young ladies who came in, one from New York and New Jersey. They were just moving to California. And we started talking. And, and she said, one day along, she said something, caught herself. I don't know what it was, but she said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I, I said, what did you say that was so bad? She said, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I said, you can't offend anybody here. Just talk. And again, I've had this experience over there. She just dropped her shoulders sigh of relief and say, thank God we can just talk. So there's a lot of people that just want to be able to speak openly and dispassionately to grow and evolve. But there's this big push of having passionate attachment to critique to the point where, as we said before, you can't discuss science anymore unless you say it in a way or present it in a way that everybody's comfortable and happy with it, right? So it's not even science anymore. You can't have conversations anymore without it upsetting people. Um, but again, I don't want to talk to those people. That's being dispassionate. I'd rather not talk to you. If, if anything, I have to be so careful about what I say. Or this thing, whenever I see this thing that pops up on the internet, Caitlin, what is this thing that pops up on the internet? It says, warning. You ever seen this thing? You, you're looking at something. It says warning. Trigger warning? 
T-W? Is that what it is? Yeah. And as soon as it says warning, I look at it. Uh-huh. Are you okay with looking? Yeah, I want to see it. As soon as it says it, that tells me I want to see it. And it's never even, a, it's never even something a big deal. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> warning, this may contain uncomfortable information. And it's, it's, I'm not even uncomfortable. What are you talking about? I'm chilling. I'm no different. I'm finishing my chocolate, chocolate chip vegan pudding anyway. Doesn't bother me one bit. What do you mean? Warning, warning. Are the, I, I would like to meet the people who see that and scroll past it. Huh, Kayla? Who are the people that say, oh my God, I better not open that. We need to find out who those people are and avoid them at all costs. Yeah, but part of that's just a marketing strategy. Because you say that, exactly as you said, you, you put warnings, signs on that, and suddenly people are like, oh, cool, I better check this out. That's what they did with the, they used to have it on shows like Cops. Like uh, some of this footage is extremely graphic and may offend sensitive viewers. And then suddenly everyone's tuning in. Yeah. So uh, I think Cops did that back then to get more people to watch. That's like the old ratings in movies. They are R-rated. All the little boys wanted to go to R-rated movies because that means there were going to be some boobies for a few seconds in the movies. So teenage boys would line up to movie theaters to go see R-rated movies, right? And before they had R-rating, they had M, mature subject. So they were cursing and showing side booby. You know what I mean? And people were like, yeah, that was a racy movie. That was hot. It's hot. Right? Got to see a side booby of Goldie Hawn. Yeah, you should check out The Family Guy. Google The Family Guy episode on side boobs. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't even see that skit. <laughs> and so when we have discernment and we have that type of intelligence, we're not moved by any of this stuff. People can just talk to you and you don't take offense. You can have discussions. You know, I had somebody calling me and you know, I told you my buddy Phil, his son goes to Stanford and they, they have some group there that's that's anti-affirmative anti action or something. And then the discussions they have have nothing to do with it. It just they're just uh, basically wanting to rile up racial fires in that way, and they get excited because it's easy. It's low hanging fruit. You can just have an opinion about something you know nothing about, and then sprout your opinion, and then everybody gets worked up. So you, for a moment, you get attention. You get your three minutes of fame. I say, you know, I say, could you talk? I say, I'm not going to talk to these people. Let them believe what they want to believe. They don't believe anything, so I can't change their belief. Zero from zero is zero. Let's catch ourselves. Let's, let's, let's readjust ourselves so we're not caught up in this. You follow me, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. No, I totally agree. I mean, it makes things a lot more simple. Hey, gee, I got to bounce. Yeah, well, let's get out of here. Wrap here. it up then. Wrap it up. Close the show. Yeah, I thought I did 10 minutes ago. No, close the but show, I'll... goddammit. <laughs> I'll give it another shot. Close the show, goddammit. All right, all right, I'll close the show and observe that we want that nice, dispassionate mentality because it helps us navigate uh, the extremes. We don't want to be in the extreme of doing nothing and pursuing endless comfort and immediate rewards. We also don't want to be in that self-flagellation mode as Gandhi somehow got into. Uh, But we want to do what makes sense for us. Uh, We want to be able to pick and choose, and we want to be scientists. 
Uh, so if you think about a scientific approach, you don't start with a theory. You start with observations about how things are, and you don't try and force the world into your point of view. You observe, you learn, and then you move forward. So that's a mindset that we want to cultivate. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.